If you're growing a business or just thinking about launching a startup, this is definitely the podcast for you. This is Fast Forward, brought to you by Tech Manchester. We support early stage tech focused businesses. Each week, we'll dive into the issues that we know keep entrepreneurs awake at night. We'll chat to experts who'll share their tips and advice on how to handle everything from raising finance, making your first hire, to getting your company noticed on social media or in the press. Running a business is a roller coaster. It's exhilarating, but it's pretty damn scary at times too. We're here to help you get your business off the ground and hopefully get a better night's sleep. It's hosted by me, Patricia Keating, Executive Director at Tech Manchester. Standing in a tin shed, waiting for the van to come. Oh friend, have you seen where my golden tickets be? Welcome back to the Fast Forward podcast. It's March. It's International Women's Day. It's British Science Week. There's so much happening in March. Um, so we thought uh, we would dedicate the entire month uh, to amazing women in STEM and technology. Um, now, in February, we actually lost a phenomenal mathematical mind who uh, who passed away at the age of 101 for anyone that has seen the hidden figures or read about um, uh, any of the NASA history, will know about Katherine Johnson. Her precise calculations made space travel possible. And with little more than a pencil and a slide rule, she plotted the exact trajectories that would lead Apollo 11 to land on the moon in 1969. Um, but for decades after, almost no one knew her name. Now, we know that there is a gender imbalance in STEM fields and that one way to address that is to have really visible, positive role models. And it's one of the areas for British Science Week, which is running from the 6th to the 15th of March, is focusing on. is into a reality and sort of how, how science and engineering can, can help help you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do remember... Um, you know, playing with my dad, um, doing these chemistry chemistry sets or growing crystals. You know, mm-hmm. making sort of blue and pink sort of crystal trees, and being quite fascinated by by that as as a as a little girl. Um, I, I guess looking back to me then, I would never expected me to be doing what I'm doing now. I mean, no. that, that's certainly <laughs> certainly. I don't know if that's anybody's. No, so I, I think I've always wanted to be in the nuclear lab. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that was completely completely not on on the horizon. Um, but, um, you know, continued to enjoy sort of the science subjects at, at school, um, going up through GCSEs and, and A-levels and things like that. And when I was, you know, I was one of two girls in, in my school that did A-level physics. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of, it was quite an unusual decision to sort of progress a sort of scientific engineering career. I ultimately ended up being a, um, choosing chemical engineering as a degree course to, to go into. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, got got to that by doing some work experience with with Esso, um, mm-hmm. being sort of driving around in minis around a huge oil refinery it was quite exciting. Yeah. Um, and um, and during my degree, having a sort of a year out in industry, working for GlaxoSmithKline making um, antibiotics. Um, again, it's really really exciting and yeah. sort of you know turning sort of 
you know, things at lab scale into full scale and, you yeah. know, and, and change still... in the world type of stuff or yeah. felt probably. Well, it, it does. I mean, uh, you know, making making medicines, you, know, mm. you, you are having a real positive impact on, on humanity. So yeah, it's, it's a good thing. You, you, you're creating something, you know, if it's something new um, and then also you, you're helping lead people lead better lives as well. Yeah. Um, you said before we came on that um, your dad was an engineer. Do you think that had an influence on, or was it even just having that stuff around the house that you could mess around with? Um, well, he was a civil engineer, so mm. it was all about sort of building things. And mm. we, we lived out in the Middle East as a little girl as he was involved working on sort of oil and gas platforms. So um, I, I guess the sort of the opportunities through engineering were, were I was aware of, of those, you know, sort of like the foreign travel and yeah. the sort of, you know, exposures to different cultures. <laughs> <laughs> so you did chemical engineering at um, university again. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it's this kind of that gradual filtering. It's the choices that you made through your different sort of academic stages. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, lo- I love the arts as well, um, and. I was I was one of those sort of all rounders at school, so I, I was able to do sort of the English and, and the mm. art and the history. Um, but you have to make some choices at GCSEs. You have to cut things down. And A level, you are restricted again. Um, you know, so I I made the choice that I would do scientific A levels because the arts you can keep up as a hobby. Yeah, um, it's a bit more difficult to to do science as a hobby. Um, although I'm get, I'm starting to see some of that hobby of, of science sort of come back in a little bit. I have um, have a daughter and she's got an interest in science. So we're getting to go to like the Museum of Science Industry yeah. in Manchester, which which she loves, and going to Jodrell Bank. And you know, so that sort of um, you know the geeky side of me has been satisfied yeah. outside <laughs> of work as well as in work. So uh, yeah, we're well, getting to enjoy cool, fun stuff. Um, so then, when you left chemical engineering, um, like. Was your career mapped out for you? Like, what was the next step? Was it already kind of taken care of because of your placement year? What happened after that? Um, so my placement year at GlaxoSmithKline um, did um, help me choose uh, where to go on, on graduation. So I was lucky enough to get a position at um, GlaxoSmithKline in Alveston in Cumbria. I joined the new product introduction team there. So we were taking sort of um, lab scale, sort of new medicines um, and, and treatments um, and taking them up to pilot scale and getting them ready for sort of launch and, and clinical trial um, materials. So that was anti-HIV, anti-leukaemia, um, anti anti-flu um, treatments. So that was that was that was really good. So there was a sort of there was sort of a, um, a, a flow through from mm-hmm. um, previous experiences there. Um, it, it was a bit of a, um, a a shock and sort of you know, I'd already been living away from home, so that, you know, I was familiar with that. But um, I think I was the first graduate that they'd taken on at that Cumbria site in a long time. Mm-hmm. And then also I was a girl yeah. <laughs> out on plant <laughs> with, with and, you know, plant operators, yeah. the engineers, the fitters, the the technical teams, the quality teams, pretty much male-dominated. So, um, but yeah, you could still get things done. I, I, I did enjoy it. Yeah. Like it's that kind of, you know, it may be a fact that that is you were the young graduate, female graduate, but you weren't aware of that. You were just cracking. cracking oh, it's on. just just getting on with it, really. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, again, you're, you're part of a team. You got a role to play. Um, you, you go out and get get things done. And, and, you know, and you, you know, as a, you know, somebody just starting out in the work environment, you have to learn and navigate how to how to work with um, sort of people in your team, sort of stakeholders, decision makers. You, you, you learn that. So it was a really yeah. good 
really good development activity. And I was I was there for five years, so it was it was, it was really good. Yeah, good grinding. So, make medicines, saving the world to nuclear. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because I think people ask me all the time, you know, um, you know, is this what you saw? Is this where you saw yourself? Um, you know, when you started out? And I'm like, no, I had no clue what I wanted to do when I was <laughs> I did sports studies and I didn't want to be a PE teacher. So that kind of limited me <laughs> straight right, away. Okay. okay. Um, whereas, you know, 21 years later, I'm now, you know, heading up a tech incubator. You know, I couldn't have mapped, I couldn't have planned that. Um, what about yourself? Um, I mean, I guess it's sort of um, a bit, a bit of sort of personal reasons sort of kicking in here, mm-hmm. um, and and also just uh, just a bit of you know just giving giving things a bit of a go, trying trying something different. Um, I'd, I'd met um, my partner, who's now my husband, up up in Cumbria, and he'd um, he'd started a career in the finance sector in, in Manchester. So there was a lot of driving up and down motorways at the weekend, mm-hmm. which was beginning to get a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, tiresome for everybody involved. Yeah, the drive um, had to go, or he had to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some somebody had to move, and I think oh, there's more more opportunities in the in mm. the Manchester area. So it was it was you know something something to 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 look at seriously, um, and uh, there was a job vacancy for British Nuclear Fuels in their research and technology group, um, sort of in the Warrington area. I thought, why not give it a go? I mean, yeah. I had. Um, I mean, I'd had some exposure to nuclear, but that was only through going through my chartership interview um, whilst working for, for Glaxo. And that was, I had to go to the um, British Nuclear Fuel Sellafield site up in sort of West Cumbria for, for that interview. Um, and uh, it was, that was quite a quite a daunting experience sort of getting onto site and being aware of nuclear. I think at the mm-hmm. time it was much more sort of closed um, and, and set up as much more... Um, sort of special and very, very secure and you yeah, know, very you secret. Know, very not, secret. Tell you what's going on here. Yeah. And and I and I remember thinking, how on earth um will those interviewers be able to look at what I do for Glaxo and make a determination that I've, you know, done enough and I've got enough evidence in place mm. to to achieve chartership. Um but as we went through through the the interview, um there were there were a lot of similarities um, sort of you know, managing sort of hazardous materials and sort of containment arrangements that need to put in place, the focus on quality and safety, um, but also the sort of process chemistry um, and some of the sort of standard sort of chemical engineering techniques that, that were being used. So they were very similar. So, so I, I knew a little bit about nuclear, but that was the only thing I, I knew. I was very much sort of stepping into the unknown going for that interview and I ended up getting off with the job. So, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah sort of st- start, started there. Um, and, and again, um, sort of making that change from pharmaceuticals to, to the nuclear industry, um, sort of very you know, different in, in some regards and similarities in others. Um, but on a personal level, I was sort of used to being out on a production facility, sort of um, dealing with sort of daily issues and firefighting and, um, trying to get process to, to work effectively mm-hmm. and meet our quota of how many sort of kilos and, and, and tons a year and a month and a year um, to a much more sort of slower pace of life um, yeah. in a sort of office-based environment, um, looking at um, sort of, again, solving some interesting technical challenges, but 
just that time scales are quite slow. Different. So, yeah, slow <laughs> again. <laughs> again, so it took a bit of time to acclimatise. Mm. Um, and I think whilst the, the nuclear sector these days really values um, bringing more people in from outside of the sector in, into nuclear, sort of like for that diversity of thought and approach piece, I think that was almost it was 18, 18 years ago. Back then, mm. I, I was my induction was reading a, a book about the nuclear fuel cycle, which I had to read about three <laughs> times before it made any sense. But that was kind of it. You were sort of thrown in at the deep end, trying yeah. to work out what you're doing, whereas now we do an awful lot more to yeah. support people coming into the coming into the sector and building up their um, their knowledge base and, you know, their network and understanding yeah. of the issues and things. So very, very different. Riveting stuff, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, that would have taken me years to read. <laughs> um, but I suppose all companies and but you know industries have changed in that way. That mm-hmm. you know training and and um, induction is such a much bigger part to everything that we do. Yeah. So tell us about the nuclear laboratory. Laboratory, laboratory, <laughs> laboratory. <laughs> okay, so um, we are the UK's national nuclear lab for fission. Um, we're government-owned fission. Fission. What so fission, fission energy. So nuclear fission. So it's um, the splitting of the atoms, creating energy through that splitting of the atom. Yeah. The 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 other uh, is other side is fusion. Mm-hmm. So that's when you're sort of joining joining the atoms to to make. Uh, energy from that so we're on the fission side of things and that's mm-hmm. and and fission is where we get our electricity from nuclear power at, at the moment there's a huge amount of um, international effort going on the fusion side but we've not yet got a sort of commercial fusion um, reactor in, in place internationally so fission is is the uh, the current um, nuclear power technology that we have um, and I, I guess sort of the laboratory is a bit of an abstract term for for a lot of people um, so the, we are a science and technology research organisation um, and the work that we do keeps um, the nuclear reactors operating because through our examination of the fuel that comes out of the reactors um, in our highly active facilities, um, we work hard to create sort of cost def- cost-effective cleanup solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of saving the taxpayer millions of pounds a year. Mm-hmm. Um, um and also part of what we do is providing that sort of critical infrastructure, sort of research infrastructure um, and capabilities to support um, sort of advancements in nuclear technology. Um, and there's also um, part of work where we provide critical support into our submarine fleet. So it's pointing to the supporting the UK's nuclear deterrent as well. Another aspect of, of being a sort of a national lab is playing our part to support and connect up the, the UK supply chain, so looking at sort mm-hmm. of big through to small in enterprises and also academia um, to sort of deliver that sort of capability and, and growth growth agenda for the UK. Um, but for me, what I think at a personal level, what that means, it, it's, it's really about um, doing and encouraging others to do um, nuclear science for that societal benefit. Um, so those benefits we can see in terms of you know, keeping the lights on, mm-hmm. taking care of our environment, um, looking forward to the future in terms of sort of developing clean, sustainable energy for us all, um, and, and being part of that sort of Team UK approach to um, tackling climate change. Yeah, 
It just all sounds so cool. <laughs> I want to be a nuclear laboratory person. <laughs> if I could say the word laboratory, let's start. <laughs> oh, I mean, it just sounds, it just sounds so incredible. It just sounds so, I can't imagine a day where you just come in and go, oh, what are we doing today? Um, submarines. <laughs> just sounds brilliant. Um, but you're, so this is, that's everything that you do on a day-to-day basis, but you're also the university's champion. Um, how did you end up, what is that role? How did you end up with it? Um, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, I guess officially it's actually called university champion, um, which sounds very grand. Yes. Um, but, um, really what that means is I, I head up, um, our engagement with with academia, so that covers the the research that we do, um, teaching, um, being involved with outreach activities, and then also sort of working in partnership to deliver sort of these these um, solutions um, for the sector with with academia as well. Um, and uh, I've I've been in Paris for about two two years now, um, and that engagement that we do is is really sort of part of our sort of DNA is as a lab sort of um work working closely with academia sort of collaboration. Um but it's it's also about um sort of keeping us at the cutting edge. So we we're keeping up with, you know, everything that's going on in in, in science engineering, um, bringing in some focus, some additional focus to to the research work. Um and also importantly motivating so that next generation of research leaders to um sort of tackle and address the the sector's challenges particularly around sort of cleanup um but then also looking at sort of progressing forward with sort of clean energy mm-hmm. um through the, the scientific discovery proof that that's um that's undertaken in, in the research as well um the in in terms of our sort of portfolio of work with universities we've um got about uh, 100 um, academic research projects that we sponsor on our own or in partnership with others like the Nuclear Decommissioning Authority and EDF Energy. Um, And I've got a um, a sort of virtual team Mm -hmm. of about 80 colleagues that are working on that portfolio. Are they in the universities then? Um, Where are they? they, They're based in in the lab. um, So they get involved in providing that sort of industrial supervision um, to a lot of the projects. So as part of that, making that that whole research project team works. So you've got the researcher, you've got the academic supervisor, you've got the industrial supervisor for NNL um, and, you know, work closely, sort of provide that sort of context and uh, to, to the research um, and look for opportunities for the quality of the research to be improved by working with um uh, come, coming into our facilities and, and working with some active material or other material they wouldn't necessarily have access to in the university facilities as well. So it's sort of, you know, that 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 team approach and, and the, the benefit that we bring there um, in addition to that sort of, I guess, sort of um, just sort of direction of research. But, it, but it's also um, because we're working so closely with sort of the industrial um, side of things, so the, the users of the technology, so the people that have got got the problems yeah and um, so we, we understand what those problems are and again we can relate that back into the academic research and make sure that um where we can we can make sure that research has an impact in the real world whether it's sort of um sort of progressing that te- technology through its maturity into development demonstration on site and that's that, that that's that's what we're trying to trying to do um and then on the teaching side of things um it's about sort of been getting involved in sort of research projects and design projects undergraduate level um and sort of sort of 
you know, guiding, guiding, um, guiding students and providing sort of careers advice as well in terms mm-hmm. of the opportunities that are, are available as well. So, yeah, because they're there. You find it by accident, but, you know, yeah, they've always been there. So it's connected those opportunities to them at an undergraduate level. Yeah, I mean, that, that's I mean, that that's the hope that by by being by being engaged effectively with, with academia so with they're sort of visibly there visibly involved um and, and supporting people and inspiring people um that they that they would think about a career in in the nuclear sector i mean we've got a big skills challenge in the, in the nuclear sector i think there's been a lot of work done recently with various bodies um looking at just around the amount of people that we need to bring into the the sector, and I think if you look at sort of PhDs alone, um, I think it's uh, they're looking for a sort of 72, 72 new PhDs a year to just sort of make sure that we've got those you know that supply of people with the yeah. high level skills where we need them. Yeah. Um, and so there's yeah there's there's a big job to do there. Yeah. But, Huge opportunities. Any specific projects that you can tell us about? Big projects at the moment um, is the uh, through the the government's um, nuclear innovation program. Um, there's sort of step change investment in in that area, looking at sort of that advanced nuclear te- technology arena. Um, so we're working closely um, with with government in delivering um, a program. They're looking at advanced fuels um, and advanced sort of recycling technologies. Um, so I'm involved involved with that. That's a really exciting program. It's the biggest investment in, in a generation in, in mm. the area. So it's um, re- really good to see and really good to be part of. Um, other things that, that I get involved in, um, so I represent the UK um, on um, the Generation 4 International Forum. So... Um, that's a international collaborative program on advanced reactor design. So I'm involved in that. So it's you know going off and, and being part of those collaborative discussions yeah. with you know other nations about the work that they're doing. So we can sort of look to share progress and accelerate the deployment of these new technologies, which do have the potential to bring that sort of clean and sustainable energy um, um, t- to the world. So that that's that's exciting. Yeah, um, I feel so humbled. So. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do that when I grow up. <laughs> um, and I get, and I guess I mean you, you spoke about Apollo Apollo Eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, that it may, may surprise you that um, through the the work that we've been doing in the lab, we've been getting involved in the space sector as well. So um, some of the work we've been doing um, for um, European Space Agency is looking at developing new radioisotope power systems. Um, and that's been looking at um, being able to extract an isotope called americium 241 which most people would be familiar with as you know, tiny mountain people smoke detectors that they have okay no. um, it, it's, it's, <laughs> that's it's great to know <laughs> it's a is is actually a sort of um, a byproduct of storing um, plutonium um, in and the UK has the largest stockpile of civil um, plutonium um, 140 tons um, mm-hmm. stored um, in the UK um, so we've looked at uh, a means of extracting um, that americin 241 from from the UK plutonium stocks and working with European Space Agency and others to develop a sort of space battery in effect to sort yeah. of power power spacecraft um and um also um, sort of going a little bit further with the with the space analogy um looking at developing you know, really small reactors um that could provide electric propulsion for spacecraft 
um, and and also looking at um, how those small reactors could also sort of power planetary base, uh, you know, sort of the Moon and Mars and things yeah. like that. So and beyond and and beyond. So it, 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 it you know, I think that's quite unexpected. Um, uh, for for a lot of a lot of people, and yeah, yeah, when you talk about sort of exciting stuff, that yeah, always, always <laughs> I'm sure there's loads of other really mundane things, you know, like <laughs> submarines, but this sounds really cool. <laughs> um, and it's so important, doesn't it? You know, the future of space exploration, um, understanding the universe, it's so important for you know the future of all of us. You know, um, mm-hmm. like and like, what's the lab's view? What's your view on why that is so important? Oh, right, that's a big question. <laughs> um, Can you tell me the answer to the answer to the universe, please? Is it not four to two? Um, no, um, so, I mean, I think where we're coming from is, is looking at the role that nuclear energy can play in clean energy. So sort of really pointing towards that sort of the climate change um issue that we're all facing um, right now. And I think, you know, sort of certainly come a lot more prominent recently. Um, and, you know, the, the the UK government sort of um, you know, target setting the net zero by 2050 is a big challenge. It's, it's leading the way. Um, and, you know, UK, there's a lot of spotlight in the UK at the moment because we've got the, um, the UN um Conference of Climate Change um, being held in UK in Glasgow in November, so COP26, the first time UK has ever hosted it. Um, and also the first time that we're expecting nuclear energy to be prominent in, in the discussions as well. So, you know, we're, 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 we're looking ready to support government in, 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 the, in those discussions and, and how nuclear energy can play play into that. Um, and, and so it's, you know, we're looking at whilst you know, taking what we what we do now for sort of the current sort of mission around sort of um, cleaning up nuclear legacy, sort of keeping the existing power plants operation, it, but it's also about looking at the advanced systems that are, uh, are coming on um, and and being investigated internationally, and looking what the UK can UK can do to be part of um, you know ensuring that nuclear remains part of the conversation around is working partnership with renewables, providing that sort of low carbon um, energy choices for us all. The technology aspect to it, um, you know, obviously we understand you know broadly what nuclear does in terms of energy and electricity and getting us to the moon and beyond. Um, but the the way that technology has advanced now has that is that what has almost like reinvented nuclear? Word is deep machine learning and automated intelligence and data, you know, all of these big words that are floating around the technology sector. How do they intertwine with the lab and the work you do? Okay, so um, I think. As a sector, we recognise that digital um, is is a real disruptor for for the sector. Being able to handle and, and process huge amounts of data more effectively to um, inform decision making or to improve sort of the lifetime operability of of plant um, that's all there and sort of a real sort of live amount amount of interest. Um, and also, when you're looking at uh, when you're developing nuclear technology, sort of, I guess, in, in, in days gone by, you would sort of build, sort of, uh, you know, um, build the process at lab scale, move it to pilot scale, get mm-hmm. it a bit bigger scale. Then you would look to introduce sort of um, uh, greater uh, amounts of um, 
reality into the materials that you're testing. So you move from mm-hmm. sort of non-active simulants through to putting uranium simulants into and then sort of going up in activity to get sort of sort of full-scale approach on the activity and the actual process and what, what it's actually going to see, which takes a long time and it's expensive mm-hmm. to do. Yeah, risky. Risky as well. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's a lot of interest in being able to virtually simulate these tests yeah. um, have things have um, sort of models and practical experiments running running in tandem, and sort of the the um, sort of the data science and the high performance computing that we have access to makes all of this possible in reality. So, again, as part of that nuclear innovation program that I, uh, I mentioned earlier, there is a program looking at digital reactor design. So, can we produce a digital twin of a of a power station yeah. and all components or parts of that process to sort of speed up and accelerate? Yeah, like um, spin deploy- up prototypes of different things. Like, hey, what if yeah. we put this in there? Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, and be, no, able, and, be able, and be able to run sort of operational scenarios quickly and obviously safe because it's all on computers, yeah. it's not actually yeah. happening, um, and, and gain more information, more understanding um, and sort of better quality uh, of um, decision-making associated with that. Um, there, there's also, in, in this same same area, sort of huge amount of interest in robotics and autonomous um, uh, uh, systems as well. Mm-hmm. You know, being able to remove humans from hazardous environments yeah. you know it has got to be a good thing <laughs> um and so when we're looking at the um sort of the, the decommissioning challenges sort of um being able to put sort of robotics in there instead of humans are going mm-hmm. chopping up cloth boxes and you know, clearing out um sort of uh, clearing out cells um the, you know, there's you know, societal benefit right there. Yeah. Um, do something more efficiently, um, more cost effectively without the safety and the, the dose um, issues there. So there's a lot of a lot of activity um, going on in the lab and in academia and, and elsewhere. You know, really working hard to get get systems um, in, in place that can accelerate the work um, and in, and do it more safely as well. Yeah. So. So yeah, that that technology side of things of huge interest and, and a huge area of focus as well. So, like I think, so we we're talking about British Science Week mm-hmm. coming up, and um, the theme this this time round is our diverse planet. Mm-hmm. Sounds that it is quite topical. It's on the agenda, I suppose, for the um, the UK hosting the the new uh, nuclear conference. Um, and there's it, there's a huge uh, amount of um, dialogue going on in the media in terms of you know um that we're at this tipping point you know manchester itself has declared a climate emergency in terms of its own carbon challenges um you know how like how do we all collectively create that sort of sustainable future and where does the lab see itself playing a part in in that and i suppose all of this all this technology is enabling it to kind of reinvent itself to be able to do that i mean i think as i said before i think you know that sort of clean energy agenda and, and the role that nuclear can play there. Um, I think is you know as a lab, I think we would um, be encouraged and, and encouraging people to consider that uh, that as an option and, um, and and look to provide sort of the the evidence to to support um, sort of decision making um, around that. Um, but I think in in terms of that um, sort of diverse diversity side of things as well i think it's um looking to um not not do it our way all the time i think there's real opportunity to look beyond the sector um look how things have been doing elsewhere and bring that 
um, bring that um, that information and, and learning into the sector to again help um, help things pro- progress. You were saying earlier before we recorded um, about the fuel that comes out of nuclear power plants actually has still a huge amount of value mm-hmm. and you know instead of putting that in a box and forgetting about it we could be doing so much more with it is that I'm like that's certainly that has to be part of this whole sort of sustainable ability of you know what we're what we're trying to do with nuclear in terms of being more efficient with what we've got and reusing it and yeah I mean I think I mean, there's, there's a lot of interest in um, and, and, and a lot of sort of movement around reusing materials mm-hmm. that we have and, and recycling them. And yeah, um, only- this is just a much cooler version. <laughs> it's not my bottle tops. <laughs> so it's a much cooler. Yeah, um, and, and it, it does seem to that sort of waste minimisation mm. um, that that can be achieved um, within the nuclear fuel cycle. Um, so I think um, within within the UK, we've we've recently um, closed our reprocessing facility. So um, you, you're right when when we were operating that that gave us the, gave us the ability to um, recover uranium plutonium from that um, sort of used fuel that's that's come out of a power reactor um, and and look at how that could be reused in in a sort of recycled mm-hmm. uh, format fuel um, or or whether um, that, in particular, when you look at the plutonium, whether that could be used to um, kickstart a sort of fast reactor fleet. So, mm-hmm. fast reactor at the moment, um, the the UK has thermal um, reactors. It's just a different way of um, uh, set, setting up the, the reactor to produce mm-hmm. electricity. These fast reactors, advanced reactor technology, yeah. um, with a with a recycle loop on the fuel, mm-hmm. that that is just where keeps using it. You have that closed yeah. fuel cycle. Yeah, you know, so the stuff we see in the movies. Yeah, <laughs> it's the stuff we see in the movie. Like, I it's guess, like, hey, we just use the reactor, and it's yeah, like I forever. So. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. so, so you, you you approach that sort of really sustainable fuel cycle. So yeah. you are reusing um, as much useful material as, as, as possible. Yeah. Um. So so whilst the UK has has, has stopped. Um, doing that on the Sellafield site, the nuclear innovation programme that the government's sponsoring is keeping that option open for us. So yeah. we, we, in the lab, we're doing a huge amount of work to sort of look at sort of next generation recycling technologies that would enable those closed fuel cycles to to come into play for us. So um, the, op- the options in there, we're working on it. Um, and we are looking at um, radically improving the, the processes because the reprocessing um, technology that, that was used um, by the UK, you know, developed in the 1960s and mm-hmm. 70s, so quite old. Yeah. Um, um, and we're looking at making the um, the process um, more efficient, sort of less operational cycles within it to produce less waste as well mm-hmm. itself um, and to produce a... Um, a mix of materials that um, would be easier to store and also to to, to use in into the, the advanced reactor systems as well. So there's a, there is a big amount of yeah. work being done and a lot of exciting research. Just because research. that's closed doesn't mean that's the end of the story. It's oh we, no, it's, when can technology catch up to uh, <laughs> allow us to be more efficient and to introduce all the, these new ways of? Yeah, yeah, definitely, and and I think you know with, with any sort of new type of reactor um, system that that. Um, come, comes on onto market and you know there's a lot of publicity around small modular reactors mm-hmm. and advanced modular reactors um, you know, 
whatever reactor system you have, you have you do have to think responsibly about um, you know how you manage the fuel cycle, how you mm-hmm. deal with the waste, because energy and en- any energy system creates waste. Um, even you know solar yeah. and wind, you know yeah. that there's waste in sort of the um, sort of the land that that's taken mm-hmm. up uh, by those facilities, yep. the manufacturing materials, like the components. Stuff, yeah. You know, so what goes to yeah. make it up? So there's there's waste whatever we do. So. Um, it, you know, you, you've got to think about... Um, it's part of the process. Part of you the process. You don't just think about building it to create the energy. It's also the whole yeah. end, end, end. Yeah. yeah, so you have to think about how you can use all the materials and, and whether recycling is, is the right is the right option. Yeah. You know, you have to make an informed decision on that. So the work we're doing now is it's innovative, exciting, and it can lead to a decision being made um, yeah. to bring in that sustainable energy. Yeah, and change the world. No big thing. <laughs> I mean, I think I've missed my calling in life. I think I should have been <laughs> so excited. Uh, remember those days in chemistry. Um, there are, it just sounds that there are so many exciting roles um, in your industry mm-hmm. and um, in STEM in, gel- in general. Um, so we always like to finish off the podcast with some advice. Um, this okay. can be for young people. It can be for parents that are listening um, to this podcast, thinking about their children's futures, technology, nuclear. This is the future. Um, and, but especially girls, especially for this month, International Women's Day mm-hmm. uh, month celebration, um, who are looking to pursue that career or even transfer. You know, so you could be doing like what you'd all of your transferable skills that you had in pharmacy and pharmaceuticals and how that's moved into that industry. What advice um, would you have um, for young people here looking at that and what they could maybe do to start exploring that today? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I mean, I think I think for you know, looking about encouraging people into into STEM um, and and looking encouraging people to consider nuclear energy as is a is a career option as well. I mean, I think I think with with STEM, I think the the career options are pretty much endless. I think you can you can go go into all all manner of things and mm-hmm. you know thinking think about where where I, where I started out and as you say sort of transferring from pharmaceuticals in, in, into nuclear and um, it's, the the opportunities are, are, are really there for parents that are listening. You're a parent. You've got children. <laughs> you've got a daughter who's obviously loving her STEM experiences, but she's got an incredible mum who who signposts her there. What about parents who want to explore that in terms of things they could be introducing to their children? I think I think it's about Keeping options open, I think if you know if if, if you know, I mean my my daughter as as an example, you know she she loves inventing things and she's she's really interested in just everything. Um, and at the moment, she says she wants to be an astronaut when she grows up, which I think is awesome. Um, but you, you mentioned that to somebody, oh, really, really, can she do that? And surely not. And you go. I- you, you should not you, clo- yeah. you should not close that down as an Girls option. Can do anything. Absolutely <laughs> encourage it. if that's what she wants to do at the moment. I mean, chances are reality. Who knows? Because there's a lot of competition for those. For those yeah, and, but the, the pace of change. You know, you think of, how yeah, technology yeah. is advanced. Like her mum is working on many like fuel cells that are going to be putting spaceships into space. Like by the time she's coming out the other end, yeah. like you know that's twenty years probably from now. Yeah. Like God knows what we'll be doing. Yeah, you have to no- be living on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never know. Some people say I, I live there anyway. Oh goodness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, who? Yeah, I mean, who? 
who knows where we'll yeah. be and what and what what, what the uh, you know people's normal working lives are yeah. going to be like in you know twenty thirty years yeah space station, yeah who knows so so when you come back if we are yeah so I mean, we'll of, of course of course we'll come back <laughs> but um, so yeah I think it's not 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 shutting anything down you know being yeah. you know encourage, encouraging encouraging them and I think that there's there's so much good information and so many interesting sort of programs for children need to go to science I mean my daughter's always on like uh, the uh, CBBC website and, mm-hmm. um, and Netflix and there's all sorts of scientific based programs out there that are yeah. fun and scientific yeah. um she, she loves watching those um you know and I think there's just there's just so much more out there I think yeah. well, I mean I was I mean work work experience when I was a kid sort of you know was 30 years ago was yeah. pretty pretty dire I thought I don't think no, I couldn't have. Oh, hey, can I go to like some kind of technical or chemical based thing? No, no, no. no it I went to the Morning Observer <laughs> newspaper, <laughs> which I loved. Hi, Terry, the editor. Yeah, there's nothing there. And I think yeah. now, I think now there is. I think, yeah. I think there's the the opportunities are there. I think that there's still more to be done, but mm. it's 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 so so different from when I was when yeah. I was little. I think it's definitely about that being open and. Finding the resources that will um, support those ambitions or um, flirting interests. So mm-hmm. we had Renee Watson on from the Curiosity Box. Okay. And it's um, like a subscription kit and use basically all science projects and stuff um, for kids. So you can basically get a monthly kit. That sounds fantastic. It. Yeah, check it out. It's really good. Um, I Listen, I could literally sit here all day and talk to you about nuclear and submarines and this space. Um, and I just have thoroughly enjoyed you sharing your story and your journey with us Sarah um for any of those parents that are out there wondering about you know what their kids futures might hold um that hopefully this podcast will give you an idea of some of the endless possibilities that are out there for them in STEM and hopefully give you a better night's sleep thank you